Hello, and you've reached Literary Antiquity, and I'm your host, Michaela Hamlin. In this podcast, I discuss writers and their works from history, and examine just how and why these works are as important as they are. In today's episode, I will be discussing John Keats and his poem, To Autumn. So before I get into anything else, I will give a brief biography on Keats himself. So John Keats was born on October 31st, 1795 in Moorgate, London. He was born to Thomas and Francis Keats, and he was the oldest of four children, John, George, Francis, Mary, who went by Fanny, and Tom Keats. Uh, Keats was enrolled in school the summer of 1803 at Einfeld Academy, which is located in Einfeld, Middlesex, England. Keats in school was surprisingly known to be a volatile and angry child who would frequently pick fights with other students, which is not really uh, a trait that we associate with Keats today, but this acting out in school might have been a reaction to something else. Keats' childhood was unfortunately very tragic, and he experienced both parental deaths before the age of 14. His father died from a skull fracture after, I've seen two things, he either fell off of a horse or he was trampled by the horse or both. And this happened when Keats was around eight years old. After this incident, two months to be exact, Keats's mother remarried to a man named William Rawlings and she was gone for five years. So, the children's second marriage eventually dissolved, and his siblings and himself were sent to live with their grandmother in Edmonton, Middlesex. In 1809, Keats got more involved in his studies and began reading a lot. The headmaster there, John Clark, was apparently a huge influence on his life and was sort of a a father figure uh, during his, his childhood, and his son, Charles Coden Clark, introduced Keats to the poetry of Edmund Spencer and the Elizabethans, as well as the poet Lee Hunt, artists who would influence Keats's early work. Tragedy struck again in 1810 when Keats's mother died from tuberculosis, the illness that would later take his own life, when he was 13 years old. Now this is very, very uh, more tragic to remember when you think that Keats's mother was gone for five years from, since he was eight years old. So when uh, when she returned, it's almost as if you know she came back and then she was uh, ripped away again, which is astoundingly uh, tragic. After this event, um, Keats's grandmother gave the rest of the children two legal guardians, Richard Abbey and John Sandal, though Abbey was the most influential of the two. Keats dropped out of school in the autumn of 1811, and he apprenticed to an apothecary surgeon. It is debated on who made the decision for him to leave school. Some believe it was Abby, and others think it may have been his grandmother. Either way, he left, and in 1814, his grandmother died, and he stopped the apprenticeship, and he moved to London, where he worked as a junior house surgeon at Guy's and St. Thomas's Hospital under a famous surgeon named Thomas Hammond. Keats did go on to earn the license stat of the Society of Apothecaries. 
During 1817, Keats decided that he was going to devote himself entirely to poetry and he was not going to be a doctor anymore. Uh, at this point, he was around 22 years old. Keats's early career, starting out in poetry, was mostly bound to what he read and studied. In May 1816, Lee Hunt agreed to publish the sonnet, O Solitude, in his magazine, The Examiner. This was the first appearance of Keats's poetry in print. Clark Coden, the son to the headmaster of the school that he went to, had introduced him to Hunt, if you remember, and they became good friends. Keats was also eventual friends with other romantic poets, like William Wordsworth, and he was kind of friends with Percy Shelley through Hunt. It's kind of complicated. Um, in early 1817, the first volume of Keats's poetry was published, which included the poems I Stood Tiptoe and Sleep and Poetry. Keats's poetry was unfortunately terribly received most of the time, and even his fellow contemporaries, like Lord Byron, didn't care for it very much. In April 1817, Keats was living with his brothers, John and George, and they were taking care of the youngest, Tom, who at this time had tuberculosis, unfortunately. Um, in June 1818, Keats began a walking tour of Scotland, Ireland, and the Lake District. Uh, while on this tour, Keats got sick, and apparently this is where he first began to show signs of tuberculosis, though I saw uh, conflicting sources and it seems that it's a sort of rough topic for historians to, to agree on, but uh, despite that, he returned home in August, and he continued to take care of his brother Tom until he tragically died on December 1st, 1818. On a little bit of a lighter note, um, in late 1818, Keats met a woman named Fanny Braun, and they fell in love um, uh, some of Keats's most admired lines and words are from his letters to her. Their love, unfortunately, was also very tragic. Um, on October 18th, 1819, he proposed to her, and she said yes. Uh, they kept it a secret, though. Braun told her mother, who was not open to the engagement, and she withheld her legal consent on two main reasons. Keats and his family were very ill, shown by their sort of familial history of tuberculosis, or at that time it was known as consumption. And also, Keats was a poet, and this was not a very, you know, certain or fruitful position, especially considering that Keats just gave up being a doctor. That autumn of 1819, Keats started readily noticing symptoms of tuberculosis, and in 1820, Keats uh, became more and more ill. In the summer of 1819, he published his third and final collection of poems, La Mia Isabella, The Eve of St. Agnes, and other poems. And this set, as opposed to before, did not receive as many bad reviews as the rest of his uh, poetry collections. At this point, Keats was also living with Hunt, and Fanny Braun tried to take care of him. That same year, uh, Keats's doctors prescribed an ocean voyage because at that time, uh, apparently, you know, doctors believed that warmer weather had an effect on your health, um, and they believed that it would ease his illness, though, you know, as you will find out, it did not. Uh, 
on September 20th, 1820, Keats and his close friend named Joseph Severn sailed for Rome. Afterwards, Keats would never see Fanny or any of his other friends again. John Keats died on February 23rd, 1821. His last request was to be placed under a tombstone bearing no name or date, only the words, here lies one whose name was written water. It took a month for the news of his death to reach London, and Bronze stayed in mourning for six years. Percy Shelley wrote a poem, Adonis, in the memory of Keats, and fellow romantic poet, Lord Byron, was to have said that Keats died from poor reviews of his poetry. I, I feel that I have kind of rushed through uh, his biography a little, at least the latest part of Keats's life. Um, there's just so much that can be said about his life and how you know, amazing it was, how prolific he was, but also how tragically sad it was. And Perhaps in the future, I would do a more extensive episode, maybe a little biography episode covering Keats because there is just so much more to talk about. I recommend if anything that I said interests you, you should research Keats on your own time because he really was an extraordinary writer and a person who really had to overcome some hardships in his life. So now that I got through the biography, I will now give you my analyzation of To Autumn and discuss why I think that Keats and the poem are important. So, To Autumn was written on September 19th, 1819 and was published in 1820 in that third and final volume of poetry that I mentioned, Lemia and the Eve of St. Agnes. It is said that Keats composed it after a walk. To Autumn has been regarded by critics as one of the most perfect short poems in the English language. It is written in three stanzas, each of them 11 lines, and it is written with an ABAB rhyme scheme. Some little notes before I read the poem. Um, personally, I think To Autumn is a brilliant poem. Uh, it isn't my favorite Keats poem, but that doesn't mean anything in reference to how good it is. I read it for the first time during quarantine, so it is relatively new in my mind. And another note, um, I will briefly explain how poetry and poet episodes are going to work, because I will be reading the entire poem, um, and they're, they're going to be formatted different than, you know, a novel episode or a short story episode, because I will not be reading the whole work. Um, so basically how these episodes will work, in contrast to, say, the Dorian Gray episode, is I will read the whole poem, then I will explain how the poem, well, I will give my analyzation on the poem, explain why is it, it is important, and then I will talk about uh, how Keats or the other poet that I'm discussing, why they are important. Here, I will begin reading the poem, um, my, my terrible rendition of, of the poem. Seasons of mists and mellow fruitfulness, close bosom friend of the maturing sun, conspiring with him had a load and bless, with fruit the vines that round the thatch eaves run, to bend with apples the moss cottage trees, and to fill all fruit with ripeness to the core, 
to swell the gourd and plump the hazel shells with the sweet kernel to set budding more, and still more later flowers for the bees, until they think warm days will never cease, for summer has overbrimmed their clammy cells. Who hath not seen thy, oft amid thy store, sometimes whoever seeks abroad might find, thee sitting careless on a granary floor, thy hair soft lifted by the winnowing wind, or on a half-reaped furrow sound asleep, drowsed with a fume of poppies while thy hook spares the next swath and all its twined flowers, and sometimes like a gleaner thou dost keep. Steady thy laden head across a brook, or by a cedar press with a patient look, thou watchest the last oozings, hours by hours. Where are the songs of spring? Ay, where are they? Think not of them, thou hast thy music too. While bared clouds bloom the soft dying day, and touch the stubble plains with a rosy hue, and then in a wailful choir the small gnats mourn, among the river sallows borne aloft, or the sinking as the light wind lives or dies, and full-grown lambs loud bleep from the hilly bourn, hedge crickets sing, and now with the treble soft, the red breast whistles from a garden croft, and gathering swallows twitter in the skies. As you have read, the poem is a little chronological, I would say. At first, you get the impression that the poem starts during the ending of summer, as it speaks about the maturing sun and ripening fruit, and bees being spoiled from the summer. The first stanza describes the beginning of autumn, the second about the ripening and harvesting, and lastly, the departure in the third stanza. Uh, the poem is quite self-explanatory, describing quite vividly the images of autumn, and it's, it's speaking to Autumn, indicative of the name, to Autumn. Um, there is also a theme of time passing and life in the poem. Um, it is chronological, as I mentioned, and there is a gradual passing of time uh, in the uh, air-quoted life of Autumn, which personifies it further. It was not until I did research and dug into other points of view that I realized that the poem meant much more than I initially believed. So let's break it down. Seasons of mists and mellow fruitfulness, close bosom friend of the maturing sun. This is saying that the season is of mists and mellow fruitfulness and that autumn is a close friend to the sun. Conspiring with him had a load and bless, with fruit the vines that round the thatch eaves run, to bend with apples the moss cottage trees, and to fill all fruit with ripeness to the core, to swell the gourd and plump the hazel shells with the sweet kernel to set budding more, and still more, later flowers for the bees, until they think the warm days will never cease, for summer has overbrimmed their clammy cells. So, summer and autumn both conspire together, or the sun and autumn both conspire together, to ripen the fruit on the vines that grow on the undersides of a roof that stick out beyond the walls. Um, the apples bend on the branches, and they both create flowers for the bees, um, and overabundance until they think that the warm days will never end, and summer has already filled their honeycombs with honey. Who 
who hath not seen thy oft amid thy store? Sometimes, whoever seeks abroad may find thee sitting careless on a granary floor, thy hair soft lifted by the winnowing wind. So here, Autumn is a sort of farmhand or uh, woman who is uh, the wind. The wind is flowing through the personified Autumn's hair, and they're sitting carelessly um, on a floor. Or on a half-reaped furrow sound asleep, drowse with a few of poppies while thy hook spares the next swath and all of its twin flowers. Here, Autumn is asleep on crops half-reaped, and dazed and tired by the smell of poppies. It does not cut the next section of crops and all of the flowers intertwined with them. And sometimes, like a gleaner thou dost keep, steady thy laden head across a brook. Here, Autumn is a gleaner who walks across a river or a stream with a bundle on its head. Or by a cider press, with a patient look, thou watchest the last oozings hours by hours. Here, Autumn watches the time go by. Where are the songs of spring? Aye, where are they? Think not of them. Thou hast music too. Here, uh, the narrator is asking where are the songs of spring? And the narrator is telling uh, Autumn, don't worry about them. You know, you have music too. While bared clouds bloom, the soft dying day, and touch the stubble plains with a rosy hue, and then in a wellful choir the small gnats mourn, among the river sallows borne aloft, or sinking as the light wind lives or dies. So at the end of the day, the gnats sing their sorrowful songs, and the wind either leaves or stays. And full-grown lambs loud bleep from hilly born, hedge crickets sing, now with the treble soft, the red breast whistles from a garden croft, and gathering swallows twitter in the skies. So lambs bleat, crickets sing, a red breast bird whistles, and swallows, birds, twitter in the sky. Now on to the analyzation. So this poem is extremely extremely vivid and it's full of personification and beautiful adjectives um it's speaking to autumn and a website i looked at called lit charts said that often the poem is taken to be no more than an ode to a lovely lifeful time of the year that is often overshadowed by spring and summer and yet running underneath the celebration of life is a sense of impending decay i said before that one theme was the passing of time and that the nature of life itself but another thing that I really did not pick up on at all was that of beauty and death. This honestly made the poem more uh, profound for me um, because this is a powerful idea. Intense and exquisite. Um, beauty in death is a very romantic idea. And to quote the secret history, it's a very Greek idea. Everything feels like it's on the edge of spilling over or being destroyed. Ref referring to the lines 4 through 11 in the poem, which starts with with fruit the vines that round the thatch eaves run, and ends with for summer has overbrimmed their clammy cells. And in the beauty, and the scariness of it all, comes from the fact that it will all eventually be gone, 
This poem celebrates autumn while it's dreading its ending and it's relishing in its excellence before it's over. Now, I will move on to how Keats and to autumn is important. So I feel to discuss how Keats is important must discuss his uniqueness as a poet and the things and ideas that he championed in his poetry that really nobody else did. Um, it is important to note how Keats's popularity skyrocketed strangely after his death and exactly why he wasn't appreciated as he is now when he was alive. Charles Armitage Brown, Keats's friend, had planned to write a biography of him, but he never got around to completing it. In 1841, he passed all of his manuscripts and notes on Keats to a man named Richard Monghonkton Milnes. I know I didn't pronounce that right, but he wrote the first Keats biography. Uh, because of this biography and because of the general asceticism and picturesqueness attitude of the Victorian era, Keats's reputation grew very positively. He influenced poet Alfred Lord Tennyson, Robert Browning, Elizabeth Baird Browning, Oscar Wilde, and other Victorian uh, writers at the time. He also influenced modernist Ezra Pound, and pre-Raphaelite painters also found inspiration in Keats's work. Some of his most famous depictions um, of his poems come in the form of paintings by a man named John William Waterhouse. Obviously, Keats influences modern audiences as well. Otherwise, he would not be as relevant or as quoted as he is, and I would probably not be talking about him on this podcast. Um, his tales of melancholy, unhappiness, existentialism, happiness, beauty, and appreciation of life in his poems could resonate with anyone today as emotions are still as raw and powerful today as they were 200 years ago. To Autumn is a great example of romanticism, and so then is a great example of what Keats stood for as a poet. The themes of life and death, death and beauty, and appreciating life in the moment was what he stood for, and of course, the appreciation of nature. That is the end of this episode about John Keats and Two Autumn. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, follow Literary Antiquity on Spotify or Anchor or wherever you listen. Make sure to view the transcription of this episode if that is something you would like. It is located on my website on WordPress and follow me on Twitter. The account is linked on the website. I should mention all of the sources I use for all of my episodes will be at the bottom of my transcription. I'm not stealing. I actually do research, I promise. Uh, so if you'd like to research on your own about whatever I'm speaking about, uh, you can view those at your leisure. This episode was extremely fun for me to do, and I definitely will be doing more Keats in the future. I think I'm going to read a few biographies and talk about his life more, maybe even do a biographic-centered series, um, perhaps, on different authors. Who knows? Anyway, thanks for listening, and I hope you have an amazing day.